0: What about your baby? What's his name?
1: His name's Hudson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's already playing ukulele, so that's, you know, a little bit. And uh, I play as much music as I can for him every morning at breakfast. And, you know, I take care of him and, you know, try and keep him amused all day. And,
0: so the, the thing that struck me about you was that your father had a huge role in... Your musical path. Mm -hmm. And I know that he was trained as a classical musician, or he took classical piano. Yeah. And he wanted you to be a classical, or he wanted you to have some classical background.
1: Yeah, I started with that, yeah. Which
0: didn't necessarily
1: agree with you. No, it didn't. You know, by the time you get a teenager, it just didn't seem... uh, you know, I got to I think grade five or something like that conservatory, and it was like, but still, is you know, I it obviously set a base, which is like you're getting, you're getting something out of it. It just it didn't, you know, you, I mean, it's not it's not like now with the the here and now of the internet, but the here and now of then, <laughs> was like you know, I was it it wasn't the conservatory of music is not. Stevie Ray Vaughan at that point, right? Or, you know, or or Hendrix or like that. So no, but then it was yeah. So I, I mean, I got the the piano bass, but then he 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 saw I wasn't interested, so he gave me the 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 facilities to switch to guitar and try and 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 go with teachers that were a little more that weren't down and going the classical route. So
0: did you did you ever talk about? why music was so important for him to instill in you
1: it was just a i don't know it was you know i mean i'm sure we'll talk about a little i mean he passed in 2011 but um there was a that was a big thing as, as people were talking about him it was just music was part of his life it just I, it was just a huge interest to him right and all kinds like it like and you know like from when i was a kid i saw anything from Oscar Peterson, James Cotton, Cleo Lane, uh, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're going, we're bouncing everywhere, you know. And and so, and when he passed, I I inherited his, I don't know, somewhere 1,200 or 1,500 LPs. Wow. And, you know, as I, you know, as I've, over the last couple of years, you know, setting up the turntable and like going through it all all just where it's I I remember seeing all these but now it's it's different right you're in your 40s now it's like you know my knowledge is a lot broader and just the like it's just all the different directions he took it it, it was it was heavily blues based blues and jazz were heavy like that was that was big but it went everywhere it's you know there's I'm, I'm, a fa- I'm finding lots of great classic rec- records and and even unknown records that you can't find on iTunes that are it's like they're definite keepers, you know. So, and are there
0: memories? I, you know, I should actually say, I'm talking to Sean Kellerman <laughs> in case you didn't know. But so, Sean has been kind enough to sit with me and talk about his musical journey. And um, he's got a gig in an hour or so, so he's got to leave. So, we have to make this quick. But, um, but your dad, when, when he found out that you weren't really into classical music or it wasn't connecting with you. That was not a big deal. It was just okay. So I got to find something else for him to.
1: Yeah, like I, you know, it was just, it was just keep keep me going on something. You know, he just wanted to keep it keep an interest. You know, it was like it, it didn't have to be classical music. I mean, that was just something he grew he had to do, and he thought, you know, that's what we started on. But he saw someone had brought a guitar over, and I kind of was just like you know i'm 14 and i'm just like you know going crazy on it like it's whatever with no knowledge you know you're just strumming it and all that and he just said look like you were having fun or whatever you know and it started with acoustic and you know and and trying to you know learn songs that were more of an interest to me and and, and what,
0: would, what would that have been at that point
1: at that time well I mean, even at that time, I'm into Luther Allison and Johnny Winter and... and Partly because your dad introduced you. Yeah, right. right, yeah. And it was... And... I mean, even jazz. But I mean, I wasn't obviously going to start playing jazz at that point. But, you know, it was like... He had kind of had a weekend band, you know, and uh, with my stepmother and, and a full band, though. And there were some guys from Toronto and we lived in Waterloo. But, you know, and, and it was so it was a weekend band. So it was like... You know, if they were jamming, I got to sit in. You know, I get to, I get to sit in with adults. That was that's a thing that kind of didn't happen. I didn't play with my peers, really ever. Maybe through a couple of one offs at high school, maybe, but I I didn't have a high school band. Like I, my dad was that was a big thing as my dad. It I, I was playing blues with adults, and it was, uh, and I was getting an adult perspective on and always playing with you know someone older than me and so there was kind of it was kind of guiding me in that direction and, and 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 I was already playing in bars when I was 16 so with adults you, right so
0: when you picked up the guitar when you were 14 how mm-hmm. quickly did you take to it and and
1: well with that uh, with that opportunity I was in on stage within less than a year I was already like formulating solos in about 10 months 11 months Wow. Yeah, because I was so well, I was seeing up front and center. Like if I'm going to see a show, what am I gonna what am I gonna say I saw? Then I mean, when I'm 15, I mean, if you take a summer trip, he took me to Memphis and Austin. And if you want to talk about the actually very first time I saw Mel Brown, if we, we're gonna get into that subject later. Yeah. Was actually I think I was 15. And we took a trip in Austin, and it didn't last very long. It was at Anton's, and it didn't last long because I got sick. And so my stepmother took me back to the hotel room. But that was actually my first time, and it was like James Cotton was doing The Door. Because I remember James Cotton because he was in my dad's catalog. And um, and so he was at The Door collecting money, which is weird. I mean, this is the—so we're talking the, the 80s, right? So— little bit of a, a dip or lull in, in blues at that point, I guess, in a way. And it, it was Mel Brown on stage. I remember a big white guy. I don't know who that was. I'm wondering if, I, only in the back of my mind, I'm wondering if it was Smokin' Joe Kubik, but it, it, that's not for sure. And I think Clifford Antone was there. Uh, definitely George Rains on drums. I think Sarah Brown was on bass. And, I mean, this is like Monday night at Antone's, right? So... Point being, you asked me, like, what well, What you got on stage? I got on stage, like, within a year with my dad's band, like, doing, like, 12-bar blues guitar solos and trying to emulate what I saw. And what I saw, I mean, in Memphis, I, we saw, at that time, Memphis was different. But, you know, I he was giving me the opportunity to sit in a bar at 15 years old and see it right there.
0: Can you, I mean, I don't know if you can quantify that to, like, really... From a fifteen, fourteen, fifteen year old to actually see music at Antone's or on Beale Street and experience these musicians who are integral part of blues. Like Yeah. That that you wouldn't find
1: today. Like I don't know how Or you're sitting on Beale Street and you're seeing like in an A D C club, Ruby Wilson or whomever, right? You know. Like,
0: but as a fourteen, fifteen-year-old, can you take that in and totally appreciate that?
1: I loved it. I was. I, it wasn't like, oh, my dad's taking me on this crazy vacation. You know, I was into it totally. Into it. I was taking notes. I think at one point, I can't remember if it was Sue Foley or uh, no, it was Mike Morgan and the Crawl, and actually Daryl Newish was was singing with Mike right. Morgan at that point. And um, yeah, that was at Rumboogie when Rumboogie was like one of the only three bars on the street you know that was that was it there would that it wasn't what it was now and there was only maybe two percent white people on the street this is was this was still memphis and it was uh they shut the street off there was i think blue city Rumboogie. there was the the corner diner and i think the there was the i think there was The Irish or the Irish bar, Kitty Corner to Rumboogie, and then where they have all that new stuff uh, across the street from Rumboogie—that—that—that wasn't there. It was it was flat. It was grass.
0: So if you're exposed to this level, and even you know Mike Morgan or Daryl Newish are at a certain level, that's pretty high. Yeah. Um, If you see a band that's not as good. At 14 fifteen do you recognize that immediately
1: mm. i i think i was. i don't know i don't know i think i had my you know you know i had my teenage ideas I was having a conversation about teenage ideas today and what teenagers think they know and i think i think i i i liked what, i think i went towards what i liked mm-hmm. i don't i don't know whether I knew whether it was good or bad or not i don't know I, I can't say for sure,
0: <laughs> so, and then when I look at your bio, it's almost like you had this I don't know you had a master plan, but obviously your dad guided you and gave you exposure to all these great artists and took you to these amazing places to give you
1: exposure
0: did Did you know that you were gonna be a musician?
1: uh yeah, well, okay, so then it's like you know I'm sitting in with him, and then by the time you know you know, I'm 17, I started, you know, I was getting calls to be a guitar player uh, around Ontario, and then I even started playing with some of the Detroit musicians and going to Detroit, you know, and playing, you know, I, I think I was 18, and I was at Bay City, and it was like Larry McRae, Sugar Blue. Uh, I was playing with artists, her name was Zoom. She, I don't She doesn't sing anymore. And, you know, I played with a guy named Chicago Pete and, you know, and I mean, I, I, I was stayed at Pete's house for a week and he would sit there and he would give me the old school of way of learning. And I'd be like, I got it. I got it. And he'd be like, no, we're going to run it again. And it was real old school, but it was like at the end of it, I knew the, the Lou Rawls tune or I knew ZZ Hill. I was, you know, and he was giving me that education of. And I still get this education till today, and I mean, we'll get to that later. But it's the education of like, you know, f- f- fact is, I mean, my dad had a great record collection, and I and I was learning a lot about some artists that other people, you know, everybody knew about Steve Ray Vaughan, or or Steve Ray Vaughan was coming up, and they knew about, may maybe knew about Buddy Guy, when they knew about Johnny Winter, but when you start dipping into ZZ Hill, the real southern and and then you start dipping into the b-sides or b-sides of little milton that's what i was learning if i was going to detroit and i was like and still like even with lucky peterson today like if you pull out a song i'm like he's like you know that and i'm like hey man remember where i grew up like i i i didn't grow up with yeah. i mean black radio so you got to give me a minute like clue me in and and I try and have a knowledge but still my the encyclopedia is like is is pretty deep like even till today I'm still learning you know B-sides of the greats it's like you know okay
0: so tell me about the significance of B-sides because one who doesn't know would automatically assume that's just the other song that wasn't good enough that they
1: stuck on the B-side oh it's it's just as good I don't know who I mean who chooses what's A and B I mean come on (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like
0: okay, but so from 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 a musician's point of view, studying the blues, yeah, it's just as important to listen to that B side and to understand it. And to
1: oh, it. as a musician, yeah, I mean, or if you're gonna be, you know, or if you, you know, through all the years, even if we start, you know, if we go back, be like like now, it's it's with Lucky, but even back then when I, I, I played with Bobby Rush twenty years ago, now right. You know, and it's just like, it's just like, I mean, we played, we played mainly his material, so we weren't getting into it, but, but it's just like, hey, or you go to a jam or you go and, you know, you're trying to get a new job. They're like, hey, you know, you know this, you know, this, you know, this, you got to know, you have to have a a deep catalog. You can't just, you know, it's can't all just be, you know, the A sides or something like all the, you know, all the real guys like lucky. I mean, they they know a they know all of it, you know. Okay,
0: so so when you were twenty four, you went down to to I guess Jackson, Mississippi, to join Bobby. Does that yeah, be I before first or after Mel. Well,
1: no, this is all right, so. Mel had a big. Mel Brown had a big. Like he and my dad were talking. <laughs> you know, I didn't know it at the time, but right. they were, and it was just like. And then Mel had said, you know, it's time when I was twenty. Um, like, when I was 21, he was like, hey, man, you know, it's time to get your ass kicked. <laughs> and he said, it's, ti- it's, it's time now. You know, you weren't ready before, but, you know, you're going to, and hey, the way he put it, it was like, yeah, there's a, there's a white boy on every corner in the United States. And he said, they're all kick ass. They're, they're, you know, they're all good. And, you, know, you just got to learn. And it, it was true. And I first moved to Washington, D.C., and I first played with an artist just for a couple months. Quickly, uh, Charlie Sales made a record for JSP Records, and then um, I went. I quickly moved to Deborah Coleman, and played rhythm guitar for her. But it was like getting into the inner city of Washington D.C., and there were some amazing players. And Bobby Parker lived there, and um, and you know it's just like. I started practicing and then there was like Carrie Bell's band like a guy named Steve Jacobs and all these great guys and Big Joe um May- 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 Mar- Mar- Ray, yeah him uh, like seeing these guys on a Tuesday night you know it was like I immediately stepped up my game it was like getting into the you know hey these guys would do a Hound Dog Taylor tribute band and it'd be like that's the coolest thing ever, right? You you wouldn't you know, you wouldn't see that in Kitchener, Ontario. Right. So, I mean, I had, we I was lucky to have Mel Brown, but it's like, hey, hey, there's three guys that got a Hound Dog Taylor tribute band together. Well, that's fun. So it would be like, you know, so I was seeing these like as like these guys their catalog was deep, like they so that's when I would go back every night and start practicing in my one room in some house in Washington DC and start practicing eight or 10 hours a night and really digging into because these guys knew the swing blues the soul blues the yeah you know, all of it so it wasn't just like hey I'm a Steve Ravon clone mm-hmm. or you know that's what's on the radio that's what I'm it was getting into all of it and really immersing into it
0: so yeah. that was the plan like you had this plan that yeah said, my okay. dad
1: my dad like I said when high school ended he was like hey You know, you can. How about you? If it doesn't work, give it to to your 25 and say, "Hey, the cutoff point is when you're 25."
0: Doesn't it? You should work the other way where you say, "Dad, can I get give it to 25?" So he's telling you to do this. Yeah,
1: he's like, "Go, go back. If it doesn't work, go back to school as a mature adult." Hmm. I don't know. He was an alternative guy. You know, he just he never really. I really went by the book, but. He uh so that's what he said. So I kind of just was kept playing. I was playing four or five nights a week. And did it, you
0: think that that's what you wanted to pursue? Like yes, you, okay.
1: because the other concept was there, there was a guy in kitchener named Glenn Smith who was very good friends with my dad, who was since 1982 has been well, technically before he'd been, but he before 1982 he'd been promoting shows, but since 1982 it was it started with once a month or twice a month, and then he started a club, but. He was getting Gate Mouth Brown. Uh, you know, Frank Frost had never, I don't even think, had played really to white people at all. He flew them in, and or not, they drove, actually, from Mississippi. And, you know, all these, you know, uh, Lonnie Brooks, uh, all these bands from the States, Otis Clay, Coming Into Kitchener, and my dad. And then, you know... It, Glenn would even say, "Come on, you know, I'd be 50, 14 years old. Come, come see the fabulous Thunderbirds play in a cl- two hundred people. You know, it's like it's a, This is before Tough Enough made it big. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, and seeing all these bands. So this, the all these are influences, like, like for the future. And it's just like it's all being fed to me. And then you got the greatest, one of the greatest guitar players ever, moved to Kitchener when I'm eighteen years old. You know, it's just." I, too much was being fed to me. and It's like I couldn't. Right. I, you know, this, and just
0: so people know that that's Mel Brown. Mel
1: Brown, yes. yeah. Like that's, uh, that's the school, you know. There was, I wasn't going to school, but there was a whole school of knowledge being fed to me every day from my dad to his friends to like who were literally promoting shows and bringing them in from all over North America to Kitchener and uh and then you have one of the, uh, a world renowned guitar players played with everybody and uh and you know so it's uh, yes so even my dad would invite these musicians to our house like Jimmy Johnson in my house you know from Chicago and and like yes this is what i wanted so to answer your question finally <laughs> is yes this is that was the plan
0: but do you know what that was like when you say that's what you wanted what did that mean Is it was it playing clubs and because and, it's not an easy life and no the, none of these not. people most of these people are not filthy rich
1: no it's hard work and well know. that one singer from Detroit so you were to, I think we were talking about kind of the philosophy of it because tonight I'm playing Grossman's mm-hmm. and next Tuesday I'll be in Morocco <laughs> There's a slight difference there, right? Yeah. So when I was 18 and I was, you know, new at this, and I'm playing with an artist from Detroit, she would go to Europe with Maurice John Vaughn, and they would do like the eight week, like a it would be Billy Branch and Maurice John Vaughn and those guys and Carl Weathersby, and she would be, and I'd be playing a club with her in outside Detroit or something, and it'd be like, you know, 40 people there. And I I was loving the music I was playing. You know, I'm playing Albert King and all that. But she'd be be about to take off for eight weeks. I'd be like, wow, that's... Wow, you're going to Europe, you know, Switzerland and all that. Blah, blah, blah for eight weeks. And she said, yes. And and we already had a gig book. And she goes, and where am I playing when I get back? Uh, We're playing back at this club. Exactly. So if you're going to play blues... You got you better get your head around it right now. You're 18. You're gonna be, yes, I'm doing an eight week tour, and it's gonna be awesome. And it's gonna be like, you know, five star and it'll be big concerts. When I get back, I'll be playing right here. And if you and that's the blues. And if you can't get your head around it, then you better stay at home. And that was the analogy I was given and the philosophy of of being a blues musician. You know, put up with it. And that's, and, 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 and it's, and it's going to go, you know, it's going to go up and it's going to go down. And then there's the whole waves of it, you know, where all of a sudden it's like everybody wants a blues band and then the next year they don't, you know, it's.
0: But is it, is it an up and down thing? Like from an outsider's point of view, I think, is it easy to play somewhere like Grossman's and then play Morocco next week and then come back and play a festival here and then a bar here or does it really matter if you have, like, a killer night and
1: the audience is right into it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. I don't know. It might matter to some people. I, I'm as, as long as it's a killer night, I, I don't know. I have a bit a bit of a production, or a productive complex, let, let's say. Like, I am I want it, like, going in a direction of something. Right. So, but, yeah, if, if, if it's just playing a club to play a club, I'm, I'm not all, you know... It's, I'm not always about that, but, but if it's like, Hey, you know, we're, we're moving on a direction or we might do some new songs or yeah, I don't care. It's, it's a good night. I'm having fun. You know, that's, that's cause I, it
0: could go the other way. You could be playing in front of thousands of
1: people and not really connecting or something, oh, right? yeah, Totally. It could be a total bummer. <laughs> and you could be on a, on a huge state. Well, like, I, mean, I mean, I was on a, I was on a weird gig last year in Russia. You know, we got, we got paid, I got paid quite a bit of money for one gig and we're playing with Marcus Miller and Santana to 200 people in tuxedos (laughs) in a, in a tent in, in that was surrounded by snipers and fencing. I have no idea really what it was all about, but, and you know, and we didn't even end up doing original songs because that's not what. All of a sudden, the only way to get him on the dance floor was to like, right, to do like Soul Man <laughs> and, and and my girl. That was the only way to get him out there. So it was like, and we only played 45 minutes all the way to go to St. Petersburg. It was weird. It was fine. You know, I, I got to meet Santana and, you know, I was like five feet away from him. And it was like, will I ever get that opportunity again in my life? No. Yeah, it's like wow it's then i got to see him side stage i'll never get that close again you know but yeah so it could be it could be the big you know a lot of money it can be but it just may not work out as a good night at grossman's
0: so every band that you joined whether it be deborah coleman or bobby rush or numerous others that you played with was there like a goal that said okay by doing this by working with Bobby Rush, I'm going to learn the Chitlin circuit. I'm going to learn what really Down South Blues is going to be about. Like, was there a thought behind it or wasn't like that?
1: Um, well, actually, I got advice. It, it, it kind of got... It, it got to... How do I how do I put this? Well, it first actually came before... I mean, everything was a kind of a learning process. Like, playing with Deborah, um I played mainly rhythm and I really became a solid rhythm guitar player. Like people come to me and they're like, you know, they compliment me on my rhythm playing. You know, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of times, you know, they it's that over the top solo, but a musician will always come up to me and go, wow, when you drop back, you're like, you're solid. And that was like six months. And why is that? Because the guy, the bass player I played with was uh solid. And I was just like, I, I just, concentrated six nights a week just you know I was on the road you know we were doing that and it was like I just I really concentrated on being solid so it was all of it's a learning experience and all of it was you know being on the road and traveling and becoming just better road a road dog it's uh, you just learn and then going to Bobby Rush was um I mean so the advice that was given to me but really before all of it was from Otis Clay who also had been observing me kind of like anytime he came to Kitchener, we opened up for him. And he, he took me aside and he said, man, he goes, well, I'm 21 again. And he's like, man, you're, you're, you're getting better every time. He goes, he goes, you're learning all those, those, you know, soul songs. And he goes, but you need the discipline of the, the leader. Like, like for example, the James Brown or the Bobby Rushes or the Otis Clay's, right. the, uh, it's not a band anymore. It's the leader. It's the guy who's gonna tell you, you're doing it right, or you're you're fucking it up.
0: And then, and sorry, with the intent that you become the leader and leader in sense of music, or leader in in the sense of the
1: business side. Oh no, no, not me being the leader, but me being able to take direction, oh, okay, like okay. like be, becoming that better like he He saw me he saw me playing, but he saw me playing not really under a leader, and the leader being like, it's almost like the producer of a CD, right? The leader was like, this is it. This is why I'm at this point in my career, like James Brown, that whole like you're getting fined because every night has got to be the best show. and, it, and it's it's so it, and it, he saw that it probably I just probably needed that guidance of like a little bit of crack in the whip, right. It's like you get you have the facility there, but you need that guy and Bob and Bob. It ended up, you know, after jumping around, you know, I jumped to these bands, you know, they just they just needed a guitar player, and you learn it and you do it, but it's really like one like Otis Clay was famous or Bobby's famous. It's like, and it was like moving and meeting Bobby, and then Bobby taking me under his wing and really, you know, it was great. It, he, uh, it it was great. It was like he. You know, he's kibitzing with the audience and he's he's really a showman. But at any point that I stood back there and if I just winced a little and was like thinking about what I was going to eat for dinner after the show, he would whip around and he could sense it. And it was, f- it was <laughs> freaky. And it was like, and he's, st- but you thought he was like totally immersed in like, yeah, yeah. cause you know, he, he does his, uh you know is talking to the audience yeah. and getting them involved he would stop dead and look at you and go you know like I uh, raise his eyebrows at you like where did you go like what happened to your rhythm guitar playing like he could see, he was like he was totally aware wow and then it's like you know okay back and then I'd be like okay snap it back right and he was <laughs> so that's what I mean by cracking the whip it's like No looking at the TV or like wondering what's going on with the sports game or like, you know, whatever's on your mind, it's time for the show. Right. That should be the one.
0: Okay. So does that, but I I would presume like everything else, just because somebody is famous or a leader of some fame, Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily make them always a good leader. No, it doesn't. Some might have. Amazing instincts and do whatever, but not everybody who's successful might necessarily mean that they're a great
1: band leader or whatever. No, that's right? why they might have a stage or a band leader or whatever. You know, right. it's like they can entrust them. You know that the band will be to a certain level or whatever like that. Yeah, no, no, not not all of them are great leaders. No.
0: So this this road that you take also gets you into a point where you become the musical leader of some of the projects that you've been in. Yes, yes. And was like, that part of the goal? Or was the goal more to be,
1: the Sean Kellerman band leader? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I did. I I after Bobby and after I moved back to Canada, you know, I started playing Michael Pickett, mm-hmm. Paul Reddick. Yes, and and then that's when I kind of started doing some side gigs on my own. I hadn't really I hadn't really done any Sean Kellerman stuff per se. I'd kind of, but that's when I started singing and and you know my late I didn't start till my late twenties and start singing and actually doing gigs and, and then, uh, yeah, I was, but I watched Bobby Rush, you know, he prom- still to this day, he promotes his own shows, mm-hmm. does all the leg work to go somewhere. It's like, oh well, I'm not working that weekend. I need to, I need to have my guys working. He'll go put three shows together right and just, you know, wherever in Mississippi, Alabama and Georgia or something and just call a DJ and go, can we get this up and running? And in three, even in three weeks, it's like, all of a sudden, you know, weekend is open, he'll fill it up, you know, and I'll do it myself. I'll charge 20 bucks and, you know, and, and make it happen. And it all, it works. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I watched that. I watched the leadership. I watched, I didn't think I'd, and then, you know, and, I just, I just, I knew after all those years what I liked and what I didn't like, and you know, and I, I had guys in my band that, you know, they worked with bigger guys, and they'd even come back and say, well, I didn't take a weekend with them because, I don't know, because you give us options, <laughs> you know, it's just like it's not just a dictatorship or right, it's right. not, you know, you go, you're, 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 they, they would say you're an alpha male, but you, you still give everybody. You know you're still fair you know and they they they, people would you know they get less pay or something or or maybe not the most lucrative gigs with me as my sean kellerman band on the road but they would take it because they liked me or because they 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 thought i was fair so
0: how difficult was that decision to to say this is what i want to do and then go out on your own and try to establish your name and i know you toured the states with it and whatever
1: and you know I did I did some a tour tours in Europe too and uh it, it I mean it was hard you know I, I kind of started it and kind of went full tilt and then and then I stopped it I mean, there was it was a rough year I mean 2000 it big you know kind of stopped in 2011 it was um it, it was hard on the road it's it was difficult it was going around I was doing everything and 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 my band was I mean they were they were great though, but in the in the states they were you know they backed me and they they were it was good, you know, but it was it was tough, you know, doing all the business, you know and I mean it, it, when I started doing all the business, then the music just started to be the same. And
0: right. you know, I was like,
1: I'm spending all the time on the phone trying to book a tour. And then, you know, following up with making sure that there's radio play or all that. And it was, it was too much. It was too stressful. And then it's like, I kind of stopped it after a big two month tour in Europe. And then I kind of just stopped for a minute. And then all of a sudden my dad passed away and it was just like too much all at once. And it, and uh, it it it's difficult. It was difficult to to go on the road, and then it was difficult to make to make that choice to kind of stop it mm-hmm. and be like tell those guys like Hey, we gotta stop for a minute. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. that's the way it is. It, it was it was eating me up. The business was eating me up. Could you have seen a way to make it work,
0: or was that just did it seem insurmountable? Um.
1: I don't know I I think you I yeah you probably can't have a wife and kids and right. and uh that's probably one thing because if I yeah probably probably I could have probably made it work and kept it but it was it was grueling I I was finding I was finding that the the business was eating me up it was I thought I was paying my dues and some people were some people were paying me back, you know they got me on a festival, or you know i made my i got I got my own band, like you know, like opening up for los lobos or or I got us on some great festivals i got, I was getting it somewhere Mate. but i I had no more energy i was I was whipped, I was done, and it was uh i I, th- I thought I was pushing hard enough but but then it was just like next time around it was the same money, it was like the same. But what there was one thing in like uh, late late the that was like two thousand ten or something. I was finding that it was weird. I was getting like last minute cancellations, like no no. There were club owners that had no scruples about canceling me in the middle of a road tour, mm. and it was be, I was like it happened. That happened hadn't happened to me in all my in in two decades, and then all of a sudden people started getting ruthless like it was becoming really bad and that's a cost to you and oh cost and then all of a sudden instead of going up you're going totally backwards Mm -hmm. it like instantly it's thursday and all of a sudden saturday is setting you back because everything it was just breaking even barely not even really but it was like we were strong like we were the festivals we were selling the most i'm I'm not trying to brag but it was like the, the the cd sellers would be like you sold first or second on the whole festival. You, you CD, like I was selling, I was almost, I was selling more CDs than what I was making. Then I was making a good buck and it was like, you're, I was we were doing great. We're selling great merch, you know, like lineups and it was be, I'd see an agent over there and I'm going, you'd see a 40 person lineup <laughs> and, and for an hour and a half. And be signing and CDs, selling tons of CDs, T-shirts. My merch was going great. No agents and nobody. I just and I'd see them looking at me. I'm going, "Is that interesting at all?" They're like, "No, no." So it was like, I guess there's something about me. And you know, I'm not blaming them. If they don't like me, they don't like me. You know, that's not that's not what it. But I'm just saying, it was like I I couldn't do it. So it was like I I I, I dug my heels in a little bit and stopped for I just. I honestly kind of took a little bit of a break, but I never stopped playing because I, I mentally took a break. Right. But it was that summer after the two, two month tour with wishbone ash in 2011. It was like, I said, I'm stopping for a minute, but I didn't. It was like, all of a sudden Jerome God calling me and, and I'm getting all these calls and it was like the busiest summer, but I got my head out of it and I started like building decks and like, and like getting into like renovations and all this stuff. And it but was you were like,
0: still playing. Like you never questioned playing.
1: Oh no, no, no. I never stopped playing. I, I was a great summer. It was one of the best summers I ever had. Because mentally, I mentally stopped myself. I'm after 19 years of playing guitar, I I mentally stopped thinking about it. <laughs> because I was so I got so deep into it that it was driving me insane that I I I stopped. And for like the first month it was like I wasn't playing and I was just like, I'm going to get, I didn't get an official job. I just, I got a, a friend of a friend said, I need some stuff done. So I just started doing stuff to his house. Right. And he's like, have you done this before? I go, Nope. <laughs> and he's like, okay. He goes, you know, at eight o'clock, he'd be like, do this. And then by, you know, by the time I, I get home by, he goes, I'll come home at lunch. And he goes, wow, you did it. Perfect. Good. Do this for the afternoon. And I just started doing stuff, right? And the but deck it, is still standing? Yeah. What's that? And the deck is still standing? The deck is still standing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was just like, yeah. I mean, he knew how to do it. He just didn't have the time, right? But he's like, yeah, do this. Come in. You know, it's like, yeah. So I renovated a whole basement, made a man cave. You know, it's it just did all this stuff. And I learned, you know, I'd meet all these guys. And it was like, I just got my head into something else after 19 years old. I had 19 years I was like, I had to get, I got out of it. But it was like, I don't want to, it's not the summer of love, but it was the summer of peace, like in my brain.
0: How did you look at that experience of trying to get your band off the ground? Now, when you look back on it now, is uh, that something you will try again? Or do you think, yeah, well, you know, maybe that's... Yes, you
1: know. yes, I'm I'm right now, I'm I'm in, right in the middle of putting together songs. And uh, yeah, because I'm really getting the urge of of like kind of i mean because i've been concentrating on lucky peterson i've been you know kind of was produced the one c the kind of produced the one cd and and been involved in writing the others and then um with jerome godbu and then uh who uh, i can't even think of everything but yeah that's you know i've been my my head's been in other people's projects right but it's just like i've had these songs sitting in my computer that are original i was like wow it's time to get on it. So yeah. It's so it's
0: good. not like it's turned you off the idea. Of no, no, it. no.
1: I probably wouldn't do it the same way, but because I enjoy. I had a lot of support from people, which was great too. There were a lot of other musicians that were super supportive, and like they would, they they go to bat for me. And there was a lot of great people out there. Yeah, it's 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 so it's it's uh, it's it's like a not But I just. kind of getting it's what goes along with that is in 2011 after that summer in October my dad passed right mm-hmm. and it took me kind of a month to process that and it was a because it, it, I grew up with my dad um, I mean they my parents split up when I was two but I grew up with him so this was my first major loss of that that so after my whole thing of like stopping you know stopping the band or having this summer of peace but you know having a great summer still uh my dad passes and then
0: was that a surprise or was he sick Oh yeah it all happened in 2
1: weeks Ooh. And, and we had 2 weeks to prepare and that was it yikes yeah and um and yeah so a lot happened in 2 weeks and then that was it and then uh did he get to
0: appreciate Successes you had. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he's uh, some of them. But I think the biggest one would have been the one that happened two months after he passed was that I got the job with Lucky Peterson. My dad being a keyboard player would. Right.
0: Uh, and this is something you sought after for a while,
1: right? Like, uh, Lucky and I have known each other since two thousand four or five or something like that. Yeah, so we've we've done you know few gigs a year I'm not I wasn't part of his band you know it was uh but you know we had these these uh, few gigs you know he'd come up to Canada and I'd back him up or I go we did a couple things in Russia and yeah we, we'd, we'd done a few things but then in 2012 it was this like it was funny Peter's players uh had called me about they somebody really wanted lucky um At Peters, and it was almost a last-minute Christmas gig, and so I said, "Lucky." I said, "What are you doing two days before Christmas?" He said, "Yeah, I'm open." So he came up, and we did Peters, and um, and it was funny. He said, "He goes, oh, will you come and do this gig with me in a couple weeks?" And it was like a week gig, and I said, "Yeah, sure." And at the end of the week, he offered me full time. He was kind of regrouping at that point. He kind of he'd redone. He had a brand new bass player and drummer, like about with him for like four and six months. And so he was totally regrouping, and he said, "Yeah," and right away, you know, we started we started going to Europe and and touring, and and uh, yeah, it was like right away. I got on a live, you know, deep big DVD for him, and yeah, um, and, and lots of European traveling, and it was good. And it's you know, it's been six years now, and uh, yeah, but that would have been that would have been the big one. My dad would have been mm-hmm. like, really proud of. Um.
0: I get the feeling Lucky doesn't get the respect that perhaps he deserves. Is it different in Europe? Um, does he get that respect there?
1: Well, some of it is unfortunate that you know he's brought on himself. I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, in the mid two thousands, he, I mean, he's he's truthful about it. I mean, drugs and all that. And uh, but it's funny how people have hung on to that. People hang on to negativity like it's—I
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> don't know why—but they do. And I mean, like, yeah, it was like 2000. I think he admits it. 2005, six, and seven—we're bad. And he right. did some bad things. And he's like, okay, it's, it's ten years later now, and people are still holding on like to this grudge of like. So, in man and that's mainly in America, in Europe. You know, it's it's a different story. Like we got big tours. I mean, big jazz festivals. We're playing 20,000 people. Wow. You know, he's he's well respected. Like France, he's he's a big deal. Man. I mean, he won an award. He won a. a um, oh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. It's Victor. Um, a big award. It's, sorry. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, um, it's like the Grammy of France. It's victoria uh, Oh man. Sorry, I apologize. I sh- I sh- people can Google it. Yeah, they'll Google it. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, we did this big, you know, to 1.5 million people on TV. You know, it's like wow. yeah, you know, it's it's a prestigious award in France, and he's uh you know, he's been there since been doing it since 1992 there, and uh, so he's they love him, and he's it's a different. We, let's just say we don't play blues clubs there. Like he's like when I say we're playing to 10 or 20 thousand people, because it's it's a jazz and now jazz festivals over there or world music festivals, that's when they call it jazz. We've been on shows with Marilyn Manson at a jazz fest. It, it's jazz is a word there. It doesn't necessarily mean the genre of music. It's kind of more of like music festival. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we, Marilyn Manson, or we do these world music festivals, 20,000 people there. It's, it's uh it's, it's a different thing. He's like, he's the spokesperson of the blues, like the way Wynton Marcellus is the spokesperson of jazz. Right. You know, like when you go there, it's just like, you just don't hire a blues band to play the blues part of this festival. It's like, you hire Lucky because he's kind of the spokes guy because he's, that's the way it is. And yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I, f- I feel like people are holding onto a grudge with him. They quite don't give him the respect, but he's given, but the people that show up to our gigs and the people are, they just shake their head. Like the other musicians are just like, they look at him because he's, I see him play traditional blues piano to gospel with Mavis staples to he's, he does tracks for flow rider, mm-hmm. you know, like he's everywhere. And it, and it's like, you know, the guys are from, uh, uh, like, uh, I think it was Nelly or R Kelly's band like the you know they're just shaking their head going they look at him and just be like this guy is unbelievable how many dates
0: are you doing a year with him what's that how much touring is he doing these days
1: um this year's a little slower for the blues band because he uh he's doing a jazz cd a tribute to jimmy smith which is absolutely outstanding Hmm. So uh and he's got a great guitar player and Erlen Riding from Winton's band on drums and Lucky's so it's a three-piece organ trio and it's killer cuz it's still Lucky's energy right with jazz and it's and it's it's awesome it's it's so it's great CD so they're promoting a lot of that we we have a few weeks in England and Morocco and they're doing the blues thing but uh he's concentrating on that which is good and um, I'm doing Jerome Godboo and, and I'm home with my child which is great and
0: um, okay so Jerome the latest project is that a Jerome project or is it a band project
1: it's a band project it's got we call it Godboogie because everybody was throwing so much into it Jerome Jerome was the one that came up with it saying he says I I feel like it's a group Eric Shankman from the Spin Doctors Gary Craig who plays Bruce Coburn, Blacking the Rodeo Kings, Anne Marie, whomever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so, but everybody's throwing so much into each song that it was like, okay, I mean, it's been Jerome Godbu for years, or you know, but why don't we? We came up with a name, so it's it's a group, it's a group release, and and it's everybody, you know. And you produced
0: it, is that correct?
1: I what? ended up. I ended up kind of being yeah I guess maybe the the last call on <laughs> and I and I recorded and mixed it and mastered it and did it all so
0: so was it and I know that it's a collaborative thing how how easy is it to to be in Jerome's band which is the way it started yeah and also have this project and become this group thing which in you know in a lot of ways blues doesn't often have group projects right like, you know it, it tends to be the main person and a and backup band or whatever. I mean, how was that transition of becoming this group entity for this recording?
1: Well, I mean, everybody, I mean, at one point we were all a little bit slow. So on on our other projects that it was like we, we were playing so much together and then we were writing and, and so Jerome was bringing all his new ideas to us and then we were throwing it all together that it was, it became a band. It just evolved into that because... It was really Eric, Gary, and Jerome, and they were doing a trio thing, kind of more with just baritone and really Eric crossing between baritone and guitar, and it was kind of like a broke-down a broke band and not really a full, this full like bass guitar, drums, whatever kind of band. So they were kind of, but then Jerome was like, hey, you know, like Sean's off the road. Can we throw him in the mix on a few gigs? And everybody was happy with it. So it became four piece again. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, I want to play bass and part of it. I don't want to be the lead guitar player in all of it. So then me and Eric started trading back and forth because there wasn't a bass player. It was baritone or me. I switch a guitar. I hit an octave pedal and, it, and it's, I call it bassy sound. You know, it's not a bass. It's just a little lower than a guitar. And so we kind of do it and it's dirtier because it's not that clean bass sound it's i'm playing like so it's a little grungier it's more going towards the not hound dog not a hound dog taylor sound but kind of like that it's a little grungier it's like you know so yeah it's a little different and uh you know it's but it 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 just evolved you know from you know because they they just released a cd as a three-piece and then kind of jerome said hey come join us here off the road blah, blah blah and it worked so and then and then it's me and then me and eric started trading and it's just gig you know gig like i said you know it, the productivity from gig to gig if i you know if there's something i don't mind playing clubs if it's if it's doing something and well me and eric were we were learning each other and and going back and forth and and it was trading off and being and uh so each song was evolving and and every night we were the songs are now, they're, 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 they've grown. So that's, and then it became a CD, you know, so.
0: And would you promote this differently? Like, would you go outside of the, the Ontario neighborhood and.
1: It's a, it's on an American record label. It's on Viztone records. So we're hoping for that. Um, Right now it's just in, you know, but it's being played, it's internationally. So it's getting played in France and, you know, hopefully somebody will, you know, start picking it up and moving around and. But it's it's a, you know, it's it's a it's a great project, too, you know, so it's a, it's, you know, we only I think we only play one cover a night. So.
0: So here's the thing that I've always been curious and I've watched you for like the last 17 years. And I remember when I first met you, you were with Michael Pickett.
1: That's how that is
0: I was trying to think of how long
1: it was and that's right 17 years.
0: Ago. Yeah. And and you were this wild young guitar player who would contort on stage and 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 then I see you at the boathouse in Kitchener with Bobby Rush and you guys did this acoustic thing which was like one of the most amazing concerts I've ever seen seeing and I think that was one of his first acoustic
1: gigs. That was, yeah. We just recorded it. And, and that won a, a handy or a blues music award. Yeah, in Memphis too. It ended up winning. But it
0: was just like, and and it's interesting because last year around this time, I think Bobby was up here promoting "I Am the Blues." Yep. And you you played with him at the Silver Dollar. Yep. And I, if I don't know what happened before I got there, but I always got the impression you just walked in. I don't even know if you had a conversation with Bobby before you went on stage. But it almost seemed like you guys didn't talk. You started the show and you played it, and you knew exactly where he was gonna go, what he was gonna do. Yeah, like I don't, I don't, I got the impression there was no rehearsal. It was just
1: uh, we talked for five minutes. <laughs> no, I mean it's just like he just, you know, he was just like running. Yeah, I remember that was about it was about five minutes. So we had talked, talked, but no it's rehearsal. Like, it's. That's you know that's something you know it's something else too. It's like it it doesn't always work, but even with Lucky, like Lucky doesn't talk about the music. Like I I mean, the, we haven't really rehearsed. Like it's like once in a blue moon he says I don't like that chord, play that. But we don't. You'd never if you walk down the street you never know Lucky was a musician ever. I mean, He's just not a guy who goes, "Hey, look at me, I'm a musician or No.
0: But I mean, th- how much rehearsal goes into anything?
1: I mean, we we had I think we we've had two re- I think we had two rehearsals in 6 years. <laughs> so, but I'm just saying it's just like I don't know. There's just like he kind of stated, this is what I like. Okay, let's go in that direction or Lucky's so strong on his instrument. If you can't follow along or be on that, be on the ship with him, then. You're just left behind. You're left behind. And, you know, I guess you would be at home. So I'm just saying, it's like, I, I don't talk music with Lucky. We don't, or we don't talk it with Bobby. It's not talked about, really. It's just like, here's the song. I don't know. It just it it's it's immediate, you know. That that's why it's like we know you said you said we walked in and it didn't look like we talked. We we had talked but for no longer than 5 minutes and that it's it's just you just do it. Right. I, I don't know. There's just we just have I just I know whatever knowledge I need to know to to play with them. So
0: But that I mean I just that goes with everybody you work with. But what I find interesting is the The number of times I've seen you with different artists, there's a different Sean Kellerman for different artists that you work with. Yeah, um, and I I presume that there is a reason behind that. That it's not always oh that's the same Sean I saw playing with so and so. You seem to have a different thing. That uh, was uh,
1: well, for one of my I may I may have got kind of I don't know if I got ridiculed or or uh, I got they, they the one CD I put out was. There was a broad span, like from five-piece horns to broke-down dobro. To it was too broad because one of the CDs I liked when I was growing up was Johnny Winter, just Johnny Winter, right? And that's what he did. Like he had Willie Dixon, he had, or and he had just him and a dobro, or he had three-piece rock and roll, or he had his brother Edgar with five-piece horns, like. I thought that was a brilliant CD. So I was like, I wanted to put a CD. To, I mean, I'm not Johnny Winter, but what I'm saying is I wanted to attempt that. Right. Right. And it was just like, it, it, but people didn't like that CD because it was too too wide. It was going in every direction, you know, and there's even a little bit of hip hop. But when I play with people, I, you know, and then, like I said, when I moved to Washington, D.C. when I was 22, and I saw these guitar players like changing and knowing the different. And I started practicing eight or 10 hours a day to know the swing blues or the soul blues. Or I I didn't want to be. Now, I should have maybe broke out into a, more types of music, which I'm actually doing now in my 40s more than ever. But I, when I play blues, I never wanted to be just the swing guy or I never wanted to be just the R&B or the straight, you know, or Little Walter guy, or, you know.
0: But I get the impression it's more than that, that, that when you play with Lucky, that you are one guitar player that plays a certain way, versus when you
1: play with Paul Reddick, or when you play with Jerome. It's totally, my my, my approach to Jerome is absolutely 180 degrees different than, than Lucky. And is that something that comes immediately? Is that? No, it doesn't. When it doesn't it was like sometime it's it's uh it's a different it's different and it's uh like
0: how much work goes into establishing that like when you now started playing with jerome um how long did it take you to become to find that sound or that feel that you're going for in this configuration uh
1: sometimes i i hope immediately but it doesn't always work uh, some nights I felt like if I've been on a month road thing with Lucky, I'm like, well, <laughs> oh, I guess that's true, yeah. Yeah, it's you're you're so you're so you're I'm so deep into that that sometimes you a lot of times if I come back wherever I'm going the opposite direction, it takes me like a set, and I'm like hoping there's a break because after that then it's like second set, then I'm into it, <laughs> but. Are you I'm looking hoping for
0: it? like is it something that you go oh I'm not there yet like
1: I Oh I'm I'm very big about how the exact feel of it is Yeah it's it's got to be it's got to click it's we have, me and Eric Shankman have a word for that that's being like songy Right <laughs> you know it's like oh yeah, we were kind of songy tonight which was meant it got to that other level like it's like the communication on stage was just deeper than just the song it was you know and it's like if or if I have to go with lucky like i i I have to prepare for that gig like i i don't I have to like sit there and be like get, get just just take a couple hours to get my head around it before I get on stage because it's it's a demanding gig it's very demanding so and it's
0: never the same
1: uh no that's that's another thing about lucky is it's not the same ever. Any anything could happen, and I mean, it's,
0: and I, I mean, most of the stuff that you do is like that, right? It's not like you have a set list that you play every night with any of the bands that you play with.
1: Yeah, no, no. I mean, we we switch it up. We we don't keep it. There's no real set. Um, and even with Lucky, I mean, I like last year, we were on the road for a month, and then the jazz. They want one gig was a split with the jazz band and he literally that guy literally jumped into it he hadn't played one of those i've been on the road with him for a month hadn't <laughs> hadn't touched one of those songs and he jumped right in da 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 and playing left hand bass he doesn't play left hand bass in the blues band but he just jumps right into it and i'm like wow i wish i was like that and immediately it was just smoking like right off there and it's like but that's that's lucky. Lucky's he's he's different.
0: <laughs> so how do you at this stage in the game? How do you become better? Like, are you still on constantly working on it?
1: Uh, I wish I was more. But I, you know, it's I like I started a, a little studio thing. You know, I started with the Jerome thing, and then my my bass player uh, that I was on the road with, he wanted to put a CD together with all the people that he. Um, played with because he's backed me up. He backed other players up. So we put together a CD with that, and I, I recorded and mixed it and mastered it all. And uh, um, do you love that process? I like it, um, and that's kind of what I've started. Uh, so and then I just kind of produced uh, three songs for some teenagers and like a, some up, up and coming teenagers for uh, In Kitchener, and they're they're working on it. You know, it's just like, so I'm, I'm trying to like, I guess now I get older, just teach a little bit. I'm not, I'm not a teacher. I'm not really a teacher, but just kind of guide in the right direction. And, and, uh, because, you know, you can really spin your wheels. Um, you know, like I was saying, you when know, when I grew up, I got to play with more adults mm-hmm. and those adults have heard a lot of music. Right. And it's, uh, and I, and I'm not just playing with like teenage ideas like I was playing with adult ideas so I'm trying to like I'm you know I I see some kids that have that spark and I see that they're practicing a lot I don't I don't like I don't I'm not I'm not going out and giving lessons but I, I see that they're doing it and I see that they're practicing and I'm see that they're listening and opening to ideas for people that have been in the business for 22 years on the road that they're listening, so when they do that, I'll take the project on, and we and we uh, and we do it. And um, so I'm doing a bit of that, and I want I, I like the mixing. I was like, I got tired of trying to go into studios. I got kind of like, well, one, I'm a little bit broke, <laughs> so I was like, ah, I can't record. So I'll teach myself how to do it because I'd stay. I'd been in night at some pretty big studios and watched some really great engineers work. So I was like watching and listening and. And, you know, some guys told me I had some pretty good years. So I started, I sat there and I, I taught myself how to do it. And, uh, and really, and really try and get some great results. Like, so, and, and once again, I'm doing all sorts of different music. Like, I like mixing rock and, you know, people are like, whoa, he's a blues guy. And it's a, like, no, like I'll, I'll mix rock. I want to mix some, you know, acoustic. I love, love, you know. A, a good acoustic record is really hard to do it's <laughs> like it's, it's so um you know do that and and do uh even d- d- done some country there's another young country artist who just moved to Nashville this week he's he writes and you know his voice is big and so we did the music my friend of mine and I did all the music for it and it's it's country and you know and he sang and it's his song, it's so I, I like creating the music too. I like getting not only the mixing part, but is is now creating the music. Like, right. like say they just kind of strum a guitar and sing, and they're mainly saying, okay. Well, we're gonna take that and we're gonna put a baritone solo on there with some, you know, keyboard parts and all that, and program the drums and because these days like everything is is so far advanced, it's it, it doesn't sound like a drum machine anymore. So it's like and I play bass and play play different types of guitar and my friend plays guitar so we put two totally different types of guitar on there and you know we create a song for people and so it's yeah I like doing it it keeps keeps you creative and keeps your mind going you know that's just that's one thing like like lucky like he just you got you have to be on it it's it's not it's not you can't be looking at the TV while you're playing with him it's uh, you know so <laughs> It's, it's you know I, I, and, that's the theme tonight. Yeah, and you know and 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 you know and the and a baby keeps you on track and it's it's just keeping everything in your brain. Keep your brain going. I uh, I see some people just you know get a job and then they just do that job forever Maybe. and it's uh you know that's not a bad thing. But I'm just it's just not my thing. So I just uh uh I just keep changing. Sometimes my wife is just like stop. Why can't you just like go down the path. I'm always going off on some different, why, is, why are you going off the path? You know? Oh, because I just don't feel like going down the path. You know, it's just, it's so that that's, that's what I mean. So yeah, it's, it's fun. To, and it, one, I, I wanted to do something that could keep me home. I don't want to always be traveling. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun, you know, going to Morocco or going to Tunisia and France. And it's, it's amazing. But you know, sometimes it's like, okay, let's just stay at home. I can go to my basement, and and uh, you, know, I, I the, uh, you know, I have the I have a 130 year old house that has great acoustics. You know, it's different than newer houses, so it's it naturally sounds has some great sounds in it. So I, I have the ability to mix and and uh, and it's uh, I, I like doing that so I can stay at home and make a little money and and be creative.
0: And be with each child. So I'm going to finish off because yeah. I know you have to get to get their gig. Yeah. But so my last question is: We'll we'll end with where we began. Your your son is starting to play the ukulele. Your dad <laughs> had a huge impact on you yeah. in in sharing music. Will you will you do the same to your son in terms of giving him the music? And and would you hope that he would have that musical discipline?
1: Uh, he, well, you know, my daughters didn't play. <laughs> My daughters didn't play any. They're uh, in sports, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's you know maybe having a I, I mean you said discipline like discipline. I want them to have good discipline. That's what I uh, I think that's what takes it. Whatever it doesn't have to be music, but he seems to right away. He seems to be he. My wife said he would jump in his belly in her belly when at a at a game. <laughs> So, but now you know he's just strumming the ukulele. I mean, he's only sixteen months old, but he's 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 recognize he's recognizing drums, which is like he knows to beat on something. When all of a sudden, when a song comes on, he knows to beat. So it's just recognizing. And, and you know, yeah, I, I'm I might put it, but I never forced my children to do it. You know, they took some piano, but you know they gravitated to basketball, and they did play great at basketball, and they you know they excel at it. Mm-hmm. But it's. I, I, I'm not a pusher. Like, I, I just, I'd, I'd rather, however it naturally, but yeah, I know, and it's, you know, in the last, uh, in the last month, uh, you know, I finally got uh, my iTunes all, all situated properly, so it's all home sharing. And it's just like, boom, I just pop the computer on, and every morning, you know, like, I just put it on jazz, you know, so it's not a cranking. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, we, we got it, you know, so we got a mix of, like, hundred different jazz albums that are like going and he's he's listening he's listening he hears it and then he plays ukulele and he's he's uh he's he's liking it so yeah, you know i'll I'll probably more teach him hopefully to have a discipline for something. It doesn't have to be music right. but but i hope he I hope he's into it I think he is
0: well, thank you so much. I know you're busy. I really appreciate you dropping by for yeah. your gig and
1: um when did we do our last interview? 17 years ago? I think so. Yeah.
0: Like, it was really early on when yeah. when I started, and yeah. we didn't have this edition. I don't know if you remember this, but... No? Yeah, yeah so... I don't remember this. Yeah. yeah so, there. thanks for coming well, back. I'm glad we could
1: do it again. Yeah. Thanks. I really appreciate it. All right.